morning, everybody. It's so awesome to see you all here this morning. We're so glad that you made it. If you're watching here online with us, we'd like to say that we're just so glad that you're here. We're so glad to have you with us, and um, we'd like to ask you just to comment, let us know where you're watching from, uh, who you are, um, and we want to let you know that we've got some online hosts available for you to ask questions, talk to, pray with, um, anything that you may need. Um, so reach out to them if you feel led to do so. This morning, I'd like to just ask you all to stand as we go into an awesome time of worship.
Good morning. We're so glad that you're with us today. Today is the first Sunday of the uh, Christian Advent season. And Advent is a time of preparation. Each one of us as Christ followers, when we get up in the morning, prepares ourselves for what God has for us. And so in one sense, we live in an Advent season because we're always preparing ourselves for what God has for us. But the Advent season as a church is an opportunity for us to come together corporately to remind ourselves who we belong to, who we serve, and the importance of our relationship with Christ. And so Advent is a time for us to corporately celebrate uh, who we are in Christ together. The word Advent means coming or arrival. It's a focus on the entire season, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And it's an anticipation of his return and his coming as second king, as, a, as our king. And we're going to celebrate that in just a moment with communion as well. Today we light the first Advent candle. It's called the Prophet's Candle in remembrance of the prophets who foretold of our Savior's birth. Listen now and hear the words of the Lord spoken through the prophet Isaiah in chapters 7 and 9. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall come and conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them his light has shone. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of, of his increase, the government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thanks be to God. Please stand with us as we continue in worship this morning. You could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see, brought every tribe and nation to the Power and humanity to go. 
show them splendor like they never known. But you wrote a better story in humble Bethlehem, creator in the arms of common men. You will die for our redemption. Your eyes are Today we have an opportunity to come together to celebrate communion. A passage from Isaiah says that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the alpha and omega. He has the seven great I am statements that we're looking at as we go through uh, this series together. And sometimes I think it can be easy to forget just what our, who our identity is in Christ. I know that those first disciples certainly didn't understand it. And they were sitting around that communion table for that very first time. Jesus lifted up that bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. 
And I'm not sure they fully grasped where Jesus was heading. They didn't understand the fullness of what was going to happen at the cross. And when they lifted up that cup after they'd finished eating and said, this is the cup of my blood that's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, I know they did not fully comprehend the meaning of what was going to be happening on their behalf through Christ's work on the cross. And so as we come together this morning, we know the story. We know how the story ended. And we know that Jesus said he's going to come again as well. And so we take communion together to celebrate partly who we are in Christ and to give thanks for his life-transforming work in our life. But we also do this as an opportunity to evaluate our lives as we anticipate his second coming and look forward to that. And so there's a two-pronged approach to communion. It's a celebration and the anticipation. And that's what we're doing as we move this Advent season as well. We're anticipating the birth of a Savior, but ultimately we're anticipating the second coming of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be taking communion together, and we want to encourage you that if you have a relationship with Christ, we celebrate open communion at Springbrook. And so we want to invite you during this next song to make your way to the front. And you can, There's two cups. There's one with some bread and some juice in there. So we call those elements, and you can take those back to your seat and partake of those as the Lord leads during this next song. If you've got small children with you or they're not quite sure what communion is or if you have questions about communion or where a relationship with Christ is, we encourage you. This is a great place to find answers to those questions. If you're watching with us online this morning, we're glad you're here as well. We hope you were able to get your communion supplies together. But during this next song, we want to invite you to come up and take these communion elements together. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this Advent season that we can celebrate, not just in the season of Christmas, but on a daily basis as we think about what it means to live our lives out in a way that brings you glory and honor. And I pray that you would continue to draw each of us closer to yourself. We look forward to all that you have for us. God, we commit this time to you for you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you can't make your way to the front, just raise your hand and a communion team member will bring your communion elements to you.
we just thank you. We thank you this morning. God, for giving, giving us your son as a sacrifice for our sins. God, you did that for sinners who didn't deserve it. God, this morning we're just eternally grateful. God, we praise you for it. Christ, we have nothing else to give except for our praise and worship and our thankfulness. We just thank you this morning. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. Doesn't the stage look nice? <laughs> Thanks to our decor team. <laughs> We're so glad that you are uh, with us today on those communion cups. If you just want to drop those in the trash can on your way out this morning, that would be fantastic. I graciously snagged my wife uh, to help me with Advent this morning. The couple that was going to light it for us uh, didn't feel well. And so um, if you're interested in lighting uh, the candles for the first or second service as we move through this season, please let us know. Uh, Kyle would love the opportunity to talk with you about that, but we're so glad that you are with us today. If you're watching online, we're glad you're with us as well. Be sure to click that I have a prayer request link. You can talk to one of our online uh, hosts that are with you. Uh, Just let us know that you were here with us online. If you're with us in person, we're glad you're here. You've got that connection card in your chair, and so you can fill that out. Uh, If this is your first or second time with us, uh, you can give us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, There's a place for you to share a prayer request that you might have, and then there's a place for you to drop those in the back as long as we collect our tithes and offerings in the back as well. And so you can just drop those uh, off on your way out this morning, but we're glad you're here today. Hey, we uh, mentioned we have our replanted gathering coming up on December 10th, and so if you know somebody that has a foster care or adoptive family, we're going to be gathering here to encourage them and support them. And so uh, if you want to pass an invitation on, I'd I sent my invitation on on Facebook this morning. And so if you know somebody, be sure to invite them. Uh, just pass that link along. We'd love the opportunity to connect with them. And then our seniors are getting together for their uh, Christmas party coming up on the 12th. And so um, they do have a registration form. And so if you're in that 55 category and you want to get together for the Christmas party, just go to uh, springbrook.org. It's SOS, Seniors of Springbrook Christmas, SOS Christmas. And uh, you can register for that uh, there. It's also on our app. Uh, but uh, if you've got questions, please just let them know. And then I uh, also wanted to let you know that we, have, uh, we are kicking off um, our year-end offering uh, this year. Um, we were going to start this last week. I tell you, it's, I, I get mixed feelings about Giving Tuesday because uh, everybody's you know, looking for generosity around this season. It's not typical for that to happen. And I don't want to be one of those churches where they're there or they're asking for money again. Um, but it was so encouraging just to see our church's generosity as we move through the Thanksgiving baskets, the angel tree, the stars, and uh, the uh, Operation Christmas Child. And this church is just so generous. And so we are so grateful for your faithfulness that is enabling us uh, to accomplish the ministry that God has for us, both in this community and our region to the very ends of the earth. And so our year-end offering is going to be kicking off today. It's going to be going through uh, the end of the year, certainly. Uh, it'll probably close off at the beginning of January. Uh, but our goal this year is to raise another $25,000 to supplement our budget next year. We've got a couple of things that we're putting into our budget, and you'll be hearing more about that at our annual meeting in January. But uh, we are picking up um, some new missionaries. And so on this next slide, you'll be able to see uh, some, of the, uh, some of the initiatives that we're looking at as we move into the new year. 
Now, this is all on our website as well. And so if you've got any questions, uh, you can just uh, go there as well. But uh, this year, we're going to be investing in our staff and our facilities. Uh, we've got some things we need to do with our parking lot and our building. And so we're putting some uh, resources towards our building maintenance as we think about how to be good stewards with this facility that God's entrusted to our care. And then we're moving into our locally with our region with a new initiative with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, they are a, an organization that works closely with uh, students in high schools. And so um, Pastor Jeff and uh, our, children, our, our students ministry coordinator, uh, Kyle Smoot, have been working to engage students in high school. And so we're going to have an opportunity to come alongside with a new regional chapter um, for our community. And so we've developed some relationships with that. And so we're going to develop those, have an opportunity to invest in FCA as well as any local leaders at Springbrook that are interested in participating in that. And so that's going to be a new initiative uh, going into next year. And then uh, we have a church planting uh, activity in the United States. We have a, a church in Michigan that is looking to uh, launch a new church that is reaching Arabic-speaking uh, residents in their community. There's estimated to be over uh, 100 million Arabic-speaking people in Michigan. I did not know that. But Pastor uh, Parkour and his uh, family are starting a new church in Michigan, and uh, they're raising funds to get that new church off the ground, and so we'll be supporting them as a part of our year-end offering on our budget next year. And then uh, for Converge Worldwide globally, uh, we've got some initiatives uh, that we're focused on as we think about missions around the globe. We're certainly continuing to partner with the Timothy Initiative. Who is, uh, we are planting um, 100 churches um, every year as a part of our uh, generosity campaign here at Springbrook. And so we're part of what God's doing globally. We're going to continue to support that. But next year, we're going to have an opportunity for our church to participate on a missions trip to Guatemala. And so we're going to be working with uh, Next Steps Ministries and our student ministries. All of our students are going to have an opportunity to take an international missions trip to Guatemala. It's going to be open to our church, um, and so people will be able to participate as well in that. Um, you'll be able to get some information on our website for that. So we've loaded some things into our budget next year that we currently don't have in our budget this year. So we're praying that God would go before us as we seek to continue to be effective at reaching our community for Christ. And making disciples. And I just want to thank you for uh, your participation in all that God's doing. If you have any questions about the year-end offering or about any ministry questions, please uh, please be sure to reach out to us. Our website's packed with information. You've got our app, our pastor, staff, and leader all available out in the lobby, our elder board after the service. And so if you have any questions, uh, please let us know. But we're glad that you're with us today. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment as we continue our I Am series. And I am really looking forward to all that God has for us. Good morning. Who are you is a question that we want to try to figure out the answer to whenever we meet somebody new. We uh, are looking to try to find out where this person comes from, uh, perhaps what they do for a living. What we really want to know is, are you somebody that I can trust? And so whenever we meet somebody new, whether it be uh, in, the, uh, in the course of our day as we come here uh, to church and we meet somebody new or uh, through work, we're, we're often thinking about trying to figure out 
who this person is. Well, in, uh, uh, starting last week, we began this series that we are looking at, studying together through the seven I Am statements in the book of John's Gospel. And in a sense, in these I Am statements, Jesus is answering for us something of the question of, who are you? He's helping us to understand something of who he is. That through these statements in particular, he's making a declaration that, as Pastor Rich mentioned last week, really points us to the reality that this Jesus is himself fully God. He was declaring himself to be God. But through these statements, there's a sense in which we come face to face as an introduction to the incomparable glory of Jesus Christ. Through John's gospel, there are seven of these different I am statements. And what's particularly interesting is that in each one of them, Jesus is helping his original audience back then and still us today to recognize and to understand that he is the ultimate and perfect fulfillment of the old covenant and of the Old Testament promises of God. And so, for example, these different I am statements, these seven, the bread of life, the light of the world, the sheep gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine, uh, where they're found in John's gospel here, they each point to the incomparable nature of Christ as the, as the perfect fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. So, as Pastor Rich spoke about last week, the bread of life, in declaring that, Jesus is speaking of the fact that he is the true bread that comes from heaven, as was anticipated in Exodus chapter 16, when God gave the people manna to eat in the wilderness. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to look at the second one, the light of the world, and we're going to see that it has to do with the fact that that he is the light that leads from darkness to new life and from hopelessness and despair to hope. Uh, the, the, as the sheep gate, as we'll see coming up, uh, he, Jesus is the one who was foretold, who would lead the people safely to the promised land. As the good shepherd, uh, Jesus is, is the perfect David. We, many of us are familiar with Psalm 23. Uh, and, and there it speaks about the fact the Lord is my shepherd. Well, David in the Old Testament is a type that foreshadows the coming of Christ who would be the perfect shepherd for the people. And that's held in contrast to the worthless shepherds, uh, the worthless uh, uh, religious leaders of Old Testament Israel and how they were unfaithful, as Isaiah 56 speaks about. The fact that Jesus, as we'll see coming up, is the resurrection and the life, uh, is the fulfillment of the promises made to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 or in Isaiah 26. Christ is the first fruits of the promise of the resurrection. He is the one who gives eternal life uh, to those who will spend eternity with him in glory. Uh, Jesus in the book of John also declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way of the Lord, and that uh, expression, the way of the Lord, is used over and over again through the Old Testament. And so when Jesus makes this declaration, the people would have understood that he is declaring to be the one who, when they are followed, results in life 
and blessing. And again, Psalm 16 is just one of many passages in the Old Testament that speak of this, that foreshadow this, this one who is to come. And then finally, uh, we're going to wrap up this series in a few weeks at the end of the month with, uh, uh, with Jesus as the true vine. And all through the Old Testament, the people of Israel are referred to as a, a vine. But the problem is that they had proved to be a fruitless vine because they are unfaithful to the Lord. And so as Christ comes, declaring himself to be the true vine, he demonstrates that he is the one who does and accomplishes what Israel could never do themselves. And so in these I am statements, Jesus is introducing himself. And it is so vital in the midst of a context and a culture that we live in today where the the name Jesus is literally a household name. Everybody knows it. And yet at the same time, there has never been such a high degree of biblical illiteracy in our nation as there is today. And so while many know the name of Jesus, they know nothing about him. So as Jesus makes these I am statements, it reminds us of the greatness of who he is. And this morning as we turn to John chapter 8 to look today at the second of these I am statements, that Jesus is the light of the world. We're going to see that in each of these, not only is Jesus introducing himself to us, but he is also reminding us it is not enough to know about Jesus. When we come to know about him, it demands a response. If you have a Bible with you, and certainly hope you do, I want to encourage you to open it or to switch on your Bible app and turn with me in John's Gospel in the New Testament to chapter 8. But even as you're making your way there, I want to let you know that beginning in John chapter 7, we see that, uh, that Jesus is at a place in Jerusalem outside of the temple celebrating amongst the people the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the greatest festivals amongst the Jewish people. It was held every year, and in this Feast of Tabernacles, the people would erect tents or wooden booths both outside of the city of Jerusalem and all through the streets of Jerusalem and even on the, on the tops of the roofs of houses. And they would spend the entire length of the festival, which went for about a week, in, uh, living in these tents, in these booths. People would come from all across the land. It was, like, it was one of the pilgrimage festivals where they would travel from all of the parts of, of, of Israel and they would gather together for the festival in Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles commemorated and celebrated how God rescued his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt and how he led them safely and provided for them through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. How God literally tabernacled with them or dwelt amongst them there in the wilderness. How his presence was seen and known in the pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night as he led the people. He did great things on their behalf. 
And so in John chapter 7, we see that, that the people there are gathered for this great festival, and we're told that on the, the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stands up and he makes another declaration, an incredible statement about himself. In John seven thirty seven, uh, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up, he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to tell us that in this incredible declaration, Jesus is talking about the fact that he is the one from whom the Holy Spirit will come upon the people of God. And so this is an incredible declaration there at the festival that is taking place. People have gathered from all across the country in celebration and an important theme in the Feast of Tabernacles was one of water. And so there were various different rituals or activities uh, uh, around water and the flowing of water because it commemorated how God had provided water for the people in the wilderness. The water had flowed from the rock. And so here at this festival, Jesus stands up in front of the people essentially to say, look at this, you're celebrating water and remembering what God did in the past. I want you to know that I am the one to whom you must come. If you are thirsty, come to me. I am the one who gives not only the water that satisfies, but the Spirit. And so Jesus is making a bold declaration. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, as we study through John's Gospel, if we're just reading through it, our passage for this morning, which begins in John chapter 8, verse 12, may at first seem like it is a whole new episode. But while there is a much-loved passage right at the beginning of John chapter 8, the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus is compassionate and merciful to her, the reality is it's actually an interruption to the narrative flow of this tabernacles scene. And so where we pick up in John chapter 8 this morning, beginning in verse 12, It is actually a direct continuation from chapter 7, verse 52. There, on this last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus is still standing in the temple courts. He's actually in the court of of the women, which was one of the larger outer courts. All of the people would be gathering there. Because while it's true that the Feast of Tabernacles was a great time of celebration, and the people had their booths set up, their tents, their huts set up as they remembered how they lived in the wilderness and how God had dwelt with them. It's true that they celebrated the provision of water and they had these different rituals related to that. Historians tell us that there was one more spectacle that took place on that final day of tabernacles and that it was one of the most uh, incredible sights that was seen in all of ancient Israel. And that is that in, the, feast, in, in the, the, the court of women there at the Feast of Tabernacles, they set up these four enormous stands throughout the court. And on each of these stands were four huge bowls filled with oil. And so on that last night, they would light these 16 bowls, four bowls on each of the four stands. And it would illuminate not only the whole temple with lights 
as a reminder of the pillar of fire that was amongst the people in the Old Testament days. But it was said that because of the polished stones of the temple, when these were lit, it not only illuminated the temple, but the light reflected over all of Jerusalem and the whole city lit up bright and resplendent, beautiful to see. And it is against that backdrop that we read in John eight twelve again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. You've come here to celebrate this festival. You've come here to see a light that illumines the temple and illuminates the city. But I am the true light. Jesus makes this incredible declaration, and in doing so, he is essentially saying, if you want to have life, follow me. If you want to have life, follow Jesus. He's saying, I am the light. I am the one who leads to life. Just as in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, the light of the pillar of fire led towards the promised land. So I am the light that brings and leads to life. He declares, I am the light of the world. That is, I am the true light. I am the source of light. Again, this theme of light is seen all through the pages of Scripture. Even in the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the very first book, when we have the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, there's something interesting that takes place. See, in Genesis 1-3, we get a hint, we get a glimpse of something great going on that is easy to miss if we are not reading carefully But what we discover is that Jesus here is helping us to see that he is the source of light and the one that light itself points to. In Genesis 1-3, the very first uh, part of the declaration of creation is God says, let there be light and there was light. God speaks and he brings light to the universe. But the discerning reader keeps on reading and discovers something really interesting. It's not until day four that God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Where does the light come from? If if the sun and the moon and the stars don't come till day four, what's that other light? People were supposed to understand, the Jews of the Old Testament, they were supposed to understand, do not worship the sun and the moon and the stars like the pagans do, because those are created things. There is a greater light There is a greater light to look to. And the New Testament indicates to us that that light that shone in the darkness was to point us to Christ, the eternal Lord and Savior. Through the Old Testament, we see again the same theme of light, just as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, as we heard earlier read in the the Advent reading. Isaiah 9 makes this declaration, this promise 
speaking of the Messiah who was to come, it declares the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And again, as we heard, the passage goes on a few verses later to clarify who is this one of which this is speaking. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who was foretold. He is the light that was coming into the world. He is the light that has now come. And again, in John's gospel, this theme of light has already been picked up by the Apostle John as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the very first uh, chapter of this book, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on, beginning in verse 4. In Him, referring to Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So reference there to to John the Baptist. Uh, The true light, who is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is saying, that light of which you have heard, that light has come. I am the light of the world. And while there are many other places in Scripture we could look, I also want to let you know that even the final book, just like we see an appearance in the first book of the Bible, in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5, we read these words, speaking of the new heaven and the new earth. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on them foreheads, and look at this, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The ultimate light in all the universe, the one who uh, is resplendent with glory, is Christ, the eternal Son, And he stands there at the festival and says, these these bowls of fire may illuminate the temple. They may even light up the city of Jerusalem for a little while. But I am the light of the world. And he goes on to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness in darkness. Just as God led his people through the wilderness with the pillar of cloud cloud by day and of fire by night, so Jesus, in claiming to be the true light of the world, is saying, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. 
Now, again, darkness is a major theme through, through Scripture, and, and, and it is used again and again to, to speak of those who are apart from Christ, those who do not have the lights of the knowledge of God. And we understand a little bit about what it's like to try to walk in darkness. Now, some of us uh, uh, at times find ourselves walking through a room or a place that we're familiar with while the lights are off. Um, uh, I try to check on our youngest daughter, Sophie, whenever I go to bed at night. And so I will go into her room, and uh, hopefully she's asleep. And, and, of course, I don't want to disturb her. And so I'll be as stealthy as I can in opening the door and creeping into the room to get to her bed just to look over and make sure she's okay and sleeping soundly. But i got to tell you, even though I know her room, even though I've done that so many times, it doesn't matter how stealthy I try to be. There's either a floorboard that creaks, or more often than not, I'll end up kicking a toy or stumbling on a toy or stepping on a piece of Lego and I end up making a right. Why? Because I'm stumbling in the darkness because I can't see where I'm going. How much more so in the greater darkness as people who are apart from Christ, and this is how God describes all who are apart from Him, are stumbling and groping, lost and without hope and without help. Because they have rejected. Because they have not come to know the one who gives light and meaning and purpose and life. And you and I are surrounded by people in our workplaces, in our families, in the places that we go and meet people. With people who are striving after all sorts of things, but they're striving for this and that and the other. Their pursuit of this and that and the other is all a part of that simply groping for meaning and significance and worth and direction. And Jesus says, whoever follows me will not be like that. They will not walk in darkness. Again, this is not the first time that Jesus has spoken about this. Many of us are familiar with John 3.16, but perhaps most of us are less familiar with what follows. In John 3.16, Jesus is is talking with uh, one of the religious leaders, a man by the name of Nicodemus. And as a part of that passage, we read that it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that's a reference to Jesus, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's good news. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light. There it is again. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So the reality of this world in which we live is that people love darkness. And that the light actually causes them to shrink back. And we don't like that. Because our own sin 
and disobedience before a holy God is exposed in the light of the presence of Jesus. But what a wonderful declaration. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This last phrase of Jesus' declaration, it shows us that if you want to have life, you must follow Jesus. And it's a promise. But, but notice here for a moment what it is that he's actually saying. He's saying that those who follow the light have the light. That is that they have Christ. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Will have the light. I am the light. You will have the light. To follow Jesus is to have Jesus. Oh, what an incredible thought. To follow him is to, is to be bound to him. To follow him is to be connected with him. To follow him is to partake in him. He tells us, if you follow me, you have me. Now, this is interesting because sometimes when we have this idea of following Jesus, we've more got this idea of like tagging along behind him. And for some of us, following Jesus is more like, you know, when you're following somebody down the street and you, you, you're back quite away from where they are. They're sort of in the lead. They're leading the way. And, and you're back like three blocks. But you can still sort of see them. And you figure, hey, well, as long as I, as long as I keep them in view, I'm fine. And for a lot of people, that's their idea of following Jesus. It's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll... Uh, and we have this attitude because we're so far back. We have this attitude of, oh, well, okay, so he's, he, he's moving over to this side of the sidewalk. Now, yeah, I'm just going to take the straight. I'm just going to go this way instead. And, and so we have this attitude of the fact that, yeah, I, I'll follow him in the general direction that he's going. Yeah, which means I kind of get to pick and choose, you know, like exactly where I put my feet. It, it, it means that, yeah, well, he's doing that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that one, Jesus. I'm going to keep following you in the general direction, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to choose whether I do that. That's not what following Jesus is about. As he, de- as he declares this here, he is, he's talking about not just tagging along behind. He's saying that we forfeit our lives as we participate in his life. We give up our darkness and we partake of his light. We become participants in the life of Christ. Just as the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 declares, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But especially this first part of this verse, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's the kind of following that Jesus is talking about. I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ is the everlasting light that gives to his people everlasting life in him and with him. As the wonderful Christmas carol declares, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. So, do we know him? Do we know the one who is the light of the world? Do you know the source and the the giver of true and everlasting life, the, the only one who can rescue you from darkness? Or is your picture of Jesus too small? Is your idea of following him more about what's convenient for you? Or is there a recognition that to follow Jesus is to do so with all that we are and all that we have, a laying down of our lives in obedient walking with him? But what's really interesting is as this passage continues, we see that even though Jesus makes this great declaration, we never return again, at least in this next chapter, to this issue of Jesus being the light because the Pharisees hear him. And in chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, it goes on to say, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, we don't believe you. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge No one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and my Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. 
So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father has taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And as He was saying these things, many believed. Now, again, there's a great deal in there, but don't worry. We're just going to very briefly look at how this connects with what he said in his great declaration there. You see, the problem is that though Jesus stood before the people and made this incredible declaration, the religious leaders, the Pharisees said, we don't believe you. And so the discussion seems to change direction, but actually it's it's staying precisely on the track that Jesus wanted to take them. Jesus explains that his testimony is reliable. It's reliable. He is indeed the light because he comes from the Father. He speaks from the Father, and he is going to the Father. The purpose of light is to guide the way. And as the light of the world, he knows where he has come from, what he is doing, and where he is going. So he is able to be the light. He is able to be the one who leads those who follow him to the destination that is to the very presence of the Holy Father. And he says... You believe, as the Old Testament teaches, that there needs to be two or three witnesses to establish every fact. Well, I bear witness about myself, and my Father bears witness about me too. In earlier chapters in in John, Jesus has already addressed this issue, and he's pointed to the various different things that bear witness to the reality of who he is. We can think even today about the fulfillment of prophecy. We can think about the life change. We can think about how the miracles uh, uh, that he did, they all attest to the genuineness of who he is. And here in this passage, he is establishing the fact that he is the reliable, true, faithful witness, that he is the light of the world. Because while those religious leaders do not know where he came from. They do not understand. They say that they know God, but they don't know how to come before him, that Jesus knows the way and that he will lead to the promised land just as that pillar of fire did in the wilderness wanderings. The issue in these verses is about the overwhelming evidence that Jesus' testimony is to be believed. And then he makes a declaration that many are uncomfortable with. We're happy to read something like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But people are less comfortable when it comes to what he then goes on to say. Because he tells them, I am going away. And you cannot come. The place I'm going, you can't get to on your own, he tells them. And he goes on to explain to us that apart from Christ, we will die in our sin. But believing in him brings life and freedom. When he says, I'm going to a place and you cannot come, they think that he's going to commit suicide or something. 
But we're told in this passage that no one takes Jesus' life from him. His hour had not yet come, so nobody could touch him. But at the right time, he would lay his life down to open the door, to provide the way that all who follow him would come to the Father. If you try to get to the Father by any other way, it says here, Jesus declares, and this is where it's unpopular, it's uncomfortable. In fact, even many pastors in many churches don't like to talk about this, but Jesus is abundantly clear. Unless you come to Jesus and put your faith in him, you will die in your sin. It's the end of the story. You will stand when you... When you cross from this life into eternity, you will stand before the presence of a holy God and you will be declared a rebellious, treasonous sinner who is condemned for all eternity without second chance and without hope or help to an eternity apart from God in the place that we call hell. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when we understand that there is no escape. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card. There is no second chance because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. And that, that is the destiny of every single one of us and every single human being. We are rightly and deservedly under the wrath of God because we have lied. Because we have pursued our own glory and fame instead of Christ's. Because we have lived for ourselves. Because we have not followed God's ways perfectly. And therefore we are without hope. And we are without help. But thanks be to God, that's the gospel. What we could not do for ourselves and what we see right here in this passage is unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Unless you put your faith in Jesus, you have no other hope. Or to put it another way, apart from Christ, we will die in our sins. And it takes us back to that declaration that Jesus has already made. He said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. And he kind of echoes this in a different way here now. Uh, Whoever follows me. So unless you believe in me, we see this contrast. Will not walk in darkness, you will die in your sins. So you either walk in darkness and die in your sins, or you don't walk in darkness. And if you don't walk in darkness because instead you follow Christ, then you will have the light of life. And Jesus declares himself to be the one who gives this life. Here in this passage, he declares himself to be the am multiple times. He says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Our English translations there in verse 24 add the word he for clarity, but that statement is, unless you believe, I am that declaration of his divinity. You will die in your sins. The Jews didn't understand, and so they said to him, Who are you? You are what? And Jesus goes on to explain, You will know who I am. He says in verse 28, When, they, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Then you will know 
that I am. And this lifting up is speaking of the fact that Christ would be lifted up on the cross to bear the sins of the world. It's speaking of the fact that he would be lifted up from the grave through a glorious resurrection. It's speaking of the fact that he would be lifted up as he is exalted and as he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father and that he will be lifted up ultimately when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And every knee will bow before him and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But it all is encapsulated in the fact that he is the light of the world and that those who will follow him need not fear that they would walk in darkness, but instead will have the light of life. And this passage, as I, heard, as I read very briefly, very quickly, ends in verse 30 with the simple declaration. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Whenever we come to the, pa- uh, the pages of Scripture, we always need to not only understand what it is saying, but also how then should we respond? What must we do in light of this truth? And the application of this passage is really quite simple. It's right there. Many believed in him. So we must believe. We must follow. If you want to have life, follow Jesus. Anything else will leave you in darkness. Anything else. You can chase after anything else. And it all ends in the same place. But if you want to have life, follow Jesus. And so because he is the light of the world, believe on him as your savior. I know that I'm speaking to many here who have already done this, but perhaps today you're here in the sanctuary this morning or you're watching online and you have never come to this place of acknowledging your need of a savior or of recognizing that this one who has declared himself to be the light of the world is indeed precisely who he says he is. And that unless... You will believe on him that he gave his life to pay for your sin and mine. Then you are still left in darkness and you will ultimately die in your sin. So I would plead with you if you've never taken that step that you do not leave here today without grabbing a hold, tackling one of us by the ankles that you've seen up here on the platform this morning and saying, what do I do to follow after Jesus? For those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to be one of those who follow him wholly as those whose life are bound to his. Don't be the guy who's three blocks back just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and, and, and just sort of just stay moving in the same general direction. Walk with him. Draw near to him. Step where he steps. Do what he does. Follow what he says. In obedience. Don't play around. If you follow him, you have him. Your life is no longer your own. It belongs to him. So live like it. And walk in the light as he is in the light. 
in one of the letters that the Apostle John later writes that we have recorded in the, in the New Testament. He uses that phrase, walk in the light as he is in the light. And it speaks of the fact that since he is light, we should be pursuing godliness and holiness and, and obedience to him in every area of our life. We should reflect the one in whom we are now found. That, that we should be growing in Christ-likeness, that it should be an increasing hallmark in our lives. But not only should we be mirroring and reflecting the light of Christ through our life, we also are to bear witness to the light. And as we close, I want us to think about, especially this Christmas season, what kind of opportunities we might have to tell others about the light of the world, the light that we have found. This is a time of year where people are often more open to hearing about Jesus. One of the things that you can get involved in just a very practical way, you can learn more at springbrook.org slash bless, is to be engaged in praying for people in your own neighborhood through our Bless Every Home initiative. Praying that you would have the opportunity to share Christ with them. Praying, interceding for our neighbors that they would come and see that as they walk in darkness that this light has now come. And when they turn to this light, this light who is Christ, that they too will find life and freedom, forgiveness and salvation. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. If you want to have life, follow him because everything else will leave you in darkness. Our Lord and our God, how great you are. Lord, we thank and praise you that when all we knew was darkness, when we didn't even know that we were groping and stumbling around helpless and hopeless, that you, God, our Father, sent your glorious Son, Christ, to be our Savior. Thank you, that he is the light of the world. Lord, may we be a people who follow him, that we might know freedom and forgiveness, that we would not walk in darkness but have the light of life. I pray for those of us who are in Christ, that we would in increasing measure reflect the light of Christ through our lives as we grow in holiness. And through our lives to those around us that they might see the transforming power of Christ. And I pray for any who are here today who feel the weight of darkness. The uncertainty and the helplessness and hopelessness of still being apart from Christ. That today by your Holy Spirit that you illuminate their hearts, illuminate their minds, just like those bowls that were filled with the light of the fire in Jerusalem so many years ago, or just like that pillar of fire that led through the wilderness, that Christ would so reveal himself to each heart here today, that you would, that you would shine brightly and show the way out of darkness into your glorious and everlasting light that today would be the day of salvation. Oh, Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love and mercy endure forever. And so we thank you. 
because we know that you have heard our prayer as we have asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship this morning.
church as we prepare to leave this place this morning. Let's go knowing that we are welcoming and anticipating Christ. He is, in fact, the light of the world. His spirit dwells within us because we've been saved by an amazing grace. And through that, we cannot help but just resemble what he has done for us. So let's do that this season. We have the opportunity to meet new people, come into contact with people that we've known for a long time, be able to share that grace, share that love of Christ. Let's go knowing that this morning. Thank you.